Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's July, July the 3rd, 2023, the day before Independence Day. My guess is July is going to turn out to be the month of uh, Robert Oppenheimer, the great American uh, theoretical physicist. The movie's coming out later this month. I'm really excited, actually, about seeing it. It's Christopher Nolan's movie. Uh, the man is a complicated fellow, um, genius, politically controversial, and personally controversial. Of course, he was the man behind, or one of the, the key figures behind the Manhattan not the Manhattan District, the Manhattan Project, uh, the American project to build the atomic nuclear weapon, um, which, of course, was one of the more concrete and controversial aspects of the uh, explosion of theoretical physics throughout the 20th century. And if Oppenheimer is the man of July 2023... The man of the 20th century, the great theoretical physicist, the man whose intellectual, cultural, and perhaps personal legacy shadows the century is Albert Einstein. Time magazine made him the person of the century for the 20th century. And as Time said, when they awarded him uh, this remarkable tribute, um, Einstein's ideas lay over everything. He was, in many ways, the equivalent of Darwin, uh, what Darwin was for the 19th century. Einstein was for the 20th century. And we aren't talking Darwin, not Einstein, sorry, not Darwin, Einstein today, not Oppenheimer. We will do some shows on Oppenheimer with my guest. Benjamin uh, Cohen is uh, one of the great authorities um, on Einstein, and he's the author of The Einstein Effect, a book that's just out. It's in some ways rather serious and in some ways uh, rather silly. How the world's favorite genius got into our cars, our bathrooms, and our minds. And Benjamin is joining us from Morgantown in West Virginia. Benjamin, uh, congratulations on the new book. Uh, did, uh, did Albert Einstein get into Morgantown, West Virginia? I tried to, th well, thanks uh, for having me on the show first. I actually tried to look that up. I don't think Einstein ever set foot in West Virginia, although, you know, he traveled a lot around the United States, but I don't think West Virginia was ever one of the stops uh, he made it to. Benjamin, would it be fair to say that uh, just as Darwin's ideas dominated the 19th century, uh, Einstein's dominated the 20th century, was, was time right to give him uh, their person of the century award? I mean, I guess you could say I'm biased, but I certainly think so. I mean, he he beat out, you know, Gandhi, Princess Diana, the Beatles, Martin Luther King, John Adolf Kennedy. Hitler, Joseph Stalin. <clears throat> right. So he had a lot of competition. I get also it's probably the, it's only the first time I, uh, Time magazine has actually named a person of the century since they were not around uh, for the 18th century, for the 19th century. Um, but yeah, I think they were right. He not only revolutionized physics and made us rethink about how literally how we look at the universe, uh, which I think would have been enough to um, make him Time, Time Magazine's person of the century. But he really, uh, you know, he was a humanitarian. 
Uh, he was a peacemaker. He uh, spoke out vehemently against that. He worked for he worked uh, to help civil rights and the civil rights movement, and he worked to save his fellow German Jews before World War II. Like I, I think there was a lot more to him than just the science. And, and if you think about it, you know, you speak to any kid today, you know, say, you know, name the first scientist you can think of or name a genius, the prototypical genius. Everyone's going to say Einstein. And people, most people who say that don't even know, myself included, you know, how to explain quantum mechanics or black holes or gravitational waves or all these things that scientists and physicists know Einstein for. It's for, to me, it's fascinating that he was so well known outside of science. And I think that's why uh, he was the perfect pick for Time Magazine's Person of the Century. Well, in many ways, he's been brilliantly marketed uh, after his death by people like yourself. In fact, you control his social media feeds on Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook. I think you have over 20 or 30 million people following you, or at least following Einstein. Uh, you mentioned him as a peacemaker. Is there an irony? This will certainly come up, I'm guessing, in the Oppenheimer movie. Yeah. Um, as the father of 20th century theoretical physics, of course, in some ways, Einstein was the father of um, the nuclear bomb. Um, is there a contradiction in some ways between the science of Einstein and the humanity of Einstein? Can they coexist or are they in conflict? I don't think they're in conflict. I mean, Einstein himself, you know, Einstein's, E equals MC squared, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, 1905, I think is when he came up with that. Uh, he had no clue, you know, laid the foundation for what later became, you know, nuclear warfare and the atomic bomb. He had no clue. And he was the first to admit this in 1905 when he came up with that equation that it could lead to uh, such mass destruction. I, I have a quote in my book where he says there wasn't even the slightest indication of any potential technological application is what Einstein said. And so I think we often give too much credit to Einstein uh, as, you know, the father of the atomic bomb or the grandfather of the atomic bomb. There's a famous uh, 1946 Time, Ma speaking of Time Magazine, famous Time Magazine cover of a picture of uh, the bomb over Japan with Einstein's face on it. And I think he really, you know, he wanted to speak out, you know, against that. And he uh, and I think did, you know, for the rest of his life, he worked uh, creating all sorts of uh, organizations to stop the proliferation of nuclear weapons until I think it was a week or two before he died. He was working on a uh, manifesto uh, that talked about not, you know, ab about making it about stopping the development of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, Benjamin, um, let me rephrase the question. I mean, of course, n I don't think anyone would blame Einstein for yeah. nuclear weapons. The fact that he came up with this remarkably revolutionary theoretical uh, physics um, didn't inevitably lead, or in, at least in his mind. But had he known, do you think he would have kept his in initial discovery in his desk drawer and not shown anyone i mean i i assume there were others who would have probably eventually re reached his conclusions that's a fascinating question you know it's hard to get back into his into his mindset you know i, I am the 2023 digital avatar of einstein like you said but i don't know if i could get into his brain my guess if i had a if i had to take a guess would be he would put it in the drawer um because 
his his whole life philosophy was was pacifism and he was so anti-militaristic from his days in germany when he saw what uh, a nationalist society could lead to um you know to world war ii until after even after that uh and so i think if he had any inkling that what he uh the equation he came up with could lead to that i actually do think he might have uh not publicized it well perhaps more important than the discovery of atomic weapons um had einstein not be around we we have to thank him for our pizza at least according to your book without einstein there'd be no pizza delivery uh benjamin how how should we thank einstein for that at least that's one of the arguments you make in the einstein effect yeah, in the, in the book, I try to show all the modern day technologies that we have courtesy of, of Albert Einstein, courtesy of his work, his research, his calculations. And one of those, one of my favorite to tell people about, because we all use it, is uh, GPS. We all use GPS in our cars and Global our phones. positioning system. Yeah. You know, people who are single use it for dating apps, you know, to swipe right, to find somebody near them. Uber drivers use it to get you around. And like I said in the book, the pizza delivery guy, the Amazon delivery guy, all these people use GPS to get to your house. And uh, I mean, I, without getting into all the science, and again, I'm not a scientist, but basically Einstein, uh, Einstein's theory of relativity uh, came up with the idea that, you know, th the earth is constantly spinning. The satellites in space are constantly in motion and you and your car are constantly in motion. So you have those three elements that are constantly moving. And Einstein's mathematical equation in the theory of relativity basically was able to rectify those three, um, those three parameters to show exactly where someone would be. So we do have Einstein to thank for, for GPS. Which uh, is probably not such a good idea. I mean, too many people rely on pizzas, don't they, Benjamin? <laughs> Einstein himself, he had a real sweet tooth. He did? I don't think he ever, oh, yeah, in his later years, he, he never met a, a cookie or a piece of cake he didn't like. And, yeah, he, he, gained, he gained some weight. He had, if you look at the pictures of him later in life, he had a bit of a, a pot belly. And, um, Tell us about yeah, no, this, man. I mean, you've, in some ways, as you said earlier, you've dedicated your life to him. You're, you're his representative on social media. You tell the world what Einstein would have said on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. What is it about this man that's so compelling? Is it his sort of combination of remarkable innocence and intellectual sophistication? They, they sort of coexist in an odd way, and they almost seem naturally allied in Einstein, although in others they would seem very foreign and weird. I think a lot of people could relate to him. He looked like everybody's grandfather. You know, he was a bit slovenly. Uh, he walked around in his pajamas. He had slippers on. Like, like he was not, you know, this high, you know, high. Yeah, in the everybody clouds. in San Francisco, Benjamin, walks around in their pajamas. So maybe that's maybe <laughs> well, not in, in uh, West Virginia. <laughs> Do they wear pajamas now, in West Virginia? Yeah. Well, I live in a college town and all the students are walking around in, in, in their pajamas. Okay. I like to, you know, uh, you know, Einstein also lived in a college town and he walked around in his pajamas. People would see him, you know, you know, normal Prince people living in Princeton would see him look like a Jewish Hugh Hefner in his robe. And um, What's I, I a think Jewish, what, what does that mean? A Jewish Hugh Hefner? Well, Hugh Hefner, you know, the founder of Playboy magazine would always walk around in his in his pajamas and his robe. Uh. Uh, that's what he wore all the all the time. So I think what's wasn't interesting that, was, about I wasn't Hugh Hefner Jewish. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he was. Maybe I we rephrase Hugh Hefner as uh, 
uh, a, a, non- a non-Jewish Einstein. Albert Einstein. <laughs> I, I think what's fascinating about Einstein, to get back to your question, was he came about, you know, he was the first, what I like to call the first modern day celebrity. You know, what we would call, you know, uh, Taylor Swift or Beyonce or Brad Pitt, you know, the or the Kardashians. People were literally, paparazzi were chasing him down the street, taking his picture. And he came about at this intersection in history where you had radio was popular. TV was just coming online. Newspapers were popular. And so he was able to, uh, he, he was, I, I think he was the most famous person of his era. Like everybody well, in the what, world. What, I mean, what era would you describe him? I mean, was he more famous than FDR? I, I would say, I think around the world he was more famous. I mean, there's stories in my book and in other books where he would travel. He went to Japan and he, you know, uh, in 1922, he stepped out onto the balcony of his hotel and there were tens of thousands of people, throngs of people just, you know, yelling up at the balcony trying to get his attention. Um, he, I think, yeah, he was famous wherever he went. And I think that's what's also fascinating about Einstein is that no matter where you live, no matter your geography, no matter your age, you know, young, old, Republican, Democrat, right, left, I think everybody has some affinity for Albert Einstein. You know, nowadays they have marketers have this Q score, they call, you know, celeb- different celebrities have different Q scores. And that basically means, you know, how much the, the public likes them at any given moment. And I think Al- if Albert Einstein were alive today, I think he'd have a very high Q score. He, now, Al- Einstein has more. Book, uh, Benjamin was yeah. um, entitled My Jesus Year, a rabbi's son wanders the Bible belt in search of his own faith was is 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 einstein the equivalent of of jesus for the 20th century after all jesus is famous too and everyone everyone's jesus sort of conforms to what they want him to be he's certainly a very plastic figure is einstein equally plastic do we use him to suit our own ideologies and aspirations i think so i mean that's a good that's i think that's a good metaphor you know i don't know if people worshipped him but you know einstein was deemed a holy man he was in a certain sense, a new Messiah. His quotations were cited like Proverbs. So I, I think in a certain sense, he did fill, you know, he did fill that void a little bit. Um, and, you know, he himself was not a religious person, but he, I think he was a very spiritual person. Uh, he saw God in, in everything he did. And Isn't so, your job in a sense then to Save Einstein from the Einstein industry. You had an interesting piece in the F, uh, in the New York Times last yeah. month. Einstein and a theory of disinformation. You correct Ivanka Trump, who misquoted uh, uh, Einstein. Do you, do you see yourself as a as a protector of the truth of the Einstein legacy, the Einstein effect? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's probably my primary role uh, in managing Einstein's social media. Is to protect his legacy, to preserve his legacy, and to teach a new generation about about Einstein. Um, you know, I do, as you see with that example with Ivanka Trump, she misquoted Einstein and, and shared it with her millions of Twitter followers. And, and we, uh, you know, as quickly as we could, corrected her online. There are so many fake Einstein quotes out there, you know, but also people are using Einstein um, for things that, you know, that are not I don't think he would like, and they're not, not legally allowed either. There's a famous story in uh, 2009. I think People Magazines had their sexiest, sexiest man of the year issue. I think Johnny Depp was on the cover. And inside General Motors had a advertisement for a new truck. And they had Photoshopped a 
a shirtless man with a lot of muscles, ripped muscles, and Einstein's head on top of that body. And they were saying something like, you know, uh, cars can be sexy too, or something like that. And they had Einstein's head on there, and the Albert Einstein estate sued General Motors for that ad. Uh, I think they eventually settled out of court. But there are a lot of people, you know, it's a full-time job for the Albert Einstein estate to, you know, make sure his image is not being used by people who are not allowed to use his image. So how did you, um, it's fascinating, um, your, your story is fascinating. How did you get to control, um, or control or write, uh, Einstein's social media presence, as I said, from Instagram, yeah, I was he has a million followers, Facebook, where he has 20 million, uh, Twitter, where he has uh, almost 800,000. <laughs> who, who, who allowed you, Benjamin, to become the face or the, or the voice of Albert Einstein in, in social media? Yeah. So, I mean, the story goes back, you know, I've always had, I'm a journalist. I've always had a fascination with Einstein ever since I was in college in my twenties. I read a book about, um, Einstein, about the man, the doctor who performed Einstein's autopsy cut open Einstein's head and stole his brain. Many people don't know that, you know, when we're taught about Einstein in, in, in school, we're taught about, you know, all the, the Nobel prize and the, mm. the wild hair and the, theory of relativity, but we're not taught about this crazy but true story of a doctor who stole Einstein's brain. I like to call it the, the greatest heist of the 20th century. Nobody really knows about that. And I, th I thought to myself, what else is out there that people don't know about Einstein? And so I started writing a lot about Einstein, just regular articles for newspapers, for magazines. And I set up a Google alert. So every time Einstein is in the news, which is remarkably very often, scientists are discovering new things. Just last week, there was a gravitational wave discovery based on Einstein's research. And I started writing about all these things. And the Einstein estate, the Albert Einstein archives, which is based not at Princeton, but at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Uh, that's where Einstein bequeathed his estate. He's one of the co-founders of Hebrew University. And they saw all the articles I was doing. And they were like, would you want to run his social media? Because the Einstein archives is basically a bunch of academics and physicists who deal with the academic research, but they're not really social media experts. So they said, well, you're, you seem to be, have your finger on the zeitgeist of what's popular with Albert Einstein. Would you want to run his social media? So that's how I got the job. It was back in 2017, and I've been doing it ever since. Are they paying you? Um, they are very little. It's a kind of a side, you know, it's a side job for me. It takes you know, an hour or two a day. Um, well, but, that's but, quite yeah. a lot. It adds up every year. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, to me, it's, 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 it's a thrilling, it's a thrilling job. It's an awesome responsibility to, to speak for Einstein. It's a once in a lifetime gig. So, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled to have it. I will say this. I, you know, I post from Einstein's accounts. Sometimes I post it from my cell phone and I have access to my own Instagram, my own Facebook. So I'm always afraid when I post like a picture of my dog or my chickens uh, that I'm accidentally going to post it to Albert Einstein's uh, Instagram page instead. You mentioned that um, his, uh, his library is in Israel at the Hebrew University. Uh, Israel is in the news today. They launched their biggest air attack in the West Bank in nearly two decades. Your, your day job is as the news director of uh, Forward, which is uh, a, a Jewish uh, publication. If Einstein was around today, 
where do you think he would stand on on the state of Israel? Uh, it's a, a subject we've dealt with this in many shows yeah. in the past that divides contemporary Jews, sometimes quite violently. I think there's an interesting dichotomy. I mean, Einstein was, um, I wouldn't call him a father of modern Zionism, but he was heavily involved with the establishment of the state of Israel. Uh, before this, before 1948, before the state of Israel was established, he would travel. He traveled around the United States raising money for Israel with Chaim Weitzman, who was a, a fellow scientist who eventually became the first president of Israel. Matter of fact, when Weitzman died, David Ben-Gurion, the Israeli prime minister, offered actually offered the job of Israeli president to Albert Einstein. Um, he politely declined because he, he really didn't want to be a politician. Um, but he really fought for and raised money for and was a big proponent of the state of Israel. That being said, he was also, you know, I think he would be left of center, maybe even further left, you know, if he were around today. Um, like I said at the beginning, he really fought for civil rights. He fought for minorities. He, you know, so I think he would probably not be happy with the current Netanyahu administration. I think he would be maybe a speaker at a J Street conference, <laughs> you know. Um, th that's where I think he would fall on the spectrum today, if I had a guess. Your your identity, you clearly um you're 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 culturally associated with the Jewish community. You have that Jewish news show. Um you're involved with the Hadassah on call as well as forward. Um how important for you in terms of protecting the legacy of of, of Einstein and celebrating the legacy and what you call the Einstein effect in your new book. How how, uh, how important is his Jewish identity? And what does that exactly even mean? Yeah. I mean, I think everyone, Jewish or not Jewish, you know, obviously can, can relate to Einstein. I feel a special kinship with him, you know, literally, metaphorically. Um, when he came up with many of his groundbreaking ideas at the beginning of the uh, 1900s, he... Almost, you know, and I write this in that New York Times article, his entire career was almost derailed by anti-Semitism. You know, there were German scientists out there who didn't like what he was doing and created fake news about him and created a disinformation campaign about him. Uh, they said the theory of relativity was, you know, was nonsense. And then once it was proven, they said, OK, it's it's a good idea, but he stole it from non-Jewish German scientists. Uh, so I think, you know, his career was nearly derailed because of that. And so I think the fact that he became who he became and he moved to the United States and he tried to rescue fellow German Jews and he, he used his celebrity for uh, for humanitarian purposes. I, I think his Jewish identity, you know, I've heard someone say in our newsroom at the forward that he was probably the most famous Jew after Moses or the most famous Jew, certainly of the 20th century. Um, and so I think his Jewish identity is very important. And and. You know, I, I, they're all, I, as far as, you know, his social media, I think all aspects of his identity are important. And I try to promote, you know, try to preserve uh, all of those aspects of it. But to me personally, like you pointed out, my Jewish identity is very important. I'm, I'm the son of a rabbi. I come from a family of rabbis. All my brothers are rabbis. My sister's married rabbis. I work at a Jewish newspaper. So for me, it's an extremely important, integral part of my identity. And I, I you know, and I think that's one of my strong connections to Einstein. What was Einstein's uh, family background? Were a lot of his relatives rabbis too? No, he came from a very non-religious family. You know, like many German Jews of his of his era at the turn of the century, they were assimilated. 
You know, they, they didn't go to synagogue that often. I think his faith and his religion became much more important to him once he moved to the United States, once he immigrated and Hitler took power. And I think he, you know, that kind of shifted everything for, for him and many Jews around the world uh, to take pride in their Judaism, to speak out about their Judaism. Uh, and like I said, he was very involved with the, the founding of the state of Israel. That's why he left his estate to the Hebrew University. I mean, he wanted them, you know, even today when somebody buys a coffee mug with Einstein's face on it or a T-shirt with Einstein's face on it, the Hebrew University gets a few shekels every single time. And, and he wanted to make sure that that happened. Do you think there's a danger with Einstein's clear genius intelligence and his ubiquity that he might also be almost like an invention for anti-Semites who will point to someone like him and say, look how influential and dangerous the Jews are. They invented the, they invented the bomb and they profited from it. Sure. I mean, I think anti-Semites are going to find whatever kind of, you know, um, Whatever, whoever they want to find, they can put every, anybody on that pedestal, whether, whether it's Einstein or I'm not sure Rothschild. If it's a pedestal, um, but yeah, I take your point. Einstein or the Rothschilds or, you know, whoever is, you know, the, you know, whoever is in politics right now. I don't think that they have a hard time finding somebody. I don't think you need an Einstein as, you know, as your pillar of, of someone to say, oh, that's who, you know, that's, I think there's plenty of Jewish bankers and, and, and other things that, that people can point to. So I'm not sure if Einstein is that person for them. What is it about the Jews, uh, Benjamin and theoretical physics? Uh, Oppenheimer, of course, mm -hmm. was Jewish, although I think of a much more secular bent than, 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 uh, than um, Einstein. The father of the H-bomb, Edward Teller, was a Hungarian Jew. Uh, Johann Neumann, the inventor of the digital technology, the digital revolution, perhaps the most influential scientist after Einstein of the 20th century invented the modern computer, was Jewish. Was there something about the education in, in, in Central Europe, in Germany and Hungary that enabled men like Einstein and Teller and von Neumann to, to, to revolutionize the world or was it purely coincidental you forgot the father of the cell phone was also a jewish guy <laughs> who was that um, uh, i'd have to google it he's like i think in his 90s right now or close to 100 um i interviewed him a, a couple years ago um i do think education obviously is very important uh, i think in the jewish world i think in, like you pointed out in eastern europe there was what they call the yeshiva system where you know it was expected that uh, Jewish boys in particular would study all day. And so, you know, there was a real um, particular, you know, importance placed on, on that kind of study. Um, I also think, you know, people who study the Talmud, I have a friend who's a law professor at Villanova, and he always told me that he did, he enjoyed law school so much and got into law school and succeeded in law school because he spent his his uh, elementary and high school studying the Talmud and the Talmud and the intricacies of Talmudic law and the way you think uh, taught him, taught him a way to think that helped him in law school. So I, I do think there's, there's some of that. I also think, and this would apply to Italians as well, or Irish and any kind of immigrants. I think when immigrants come to America, they really go out of their way to make something of themselves and to prove, to prove to others uh, that they are, you know, of their worth. And so I think you see that with many immigrant communities who come to the United States become extremely successful. And so, yeah, and of I course, uh, the, one of the other 
enormously powerful figures in the Manhattan Project was uh, Enrico Fermi, an Italian immigrant, not Jewish. Yeah. Um, we have to be careful on these fronts. I, I wonder um, whether there's something slightly uh, Benjamin depressing about the Einstein effect. Um, you mentioned that lots of work's been done on questioning his theory of relativity. Some people are suggesting that maybe he wasn't entirely right. I, I certainly, I'm not able to make judgment on that. You've suggested you're not a theoretical scientist either. But you've suggested that the major legacy of Einstein perhaps is, is his celebrity. Do you think in 100 or 200 years people will remember Einstein as this almost uh, Andy Warhol-like figure? Or will he be remembered as a scientist or as a Jew? Or perhaps in two or 300 years he'll be forgotten? I don't think he'll be forgotten. I mean, we're still talking about Galileo and Shakespeare and Darwin. I mean, I think we're still talking about those kinds of figures. And I think Einstein is in that is in that pantheon. Um, I do think his celebrity is 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 important and perhaps more important than a science because I think more people can connect with Einstein on that aspect of him than his science aspect. You know, I've read dozens of Einstein books, you know, while researching my own book. And, you know, I only understood half of what the book was saying. They're just extremely complicated topics. And so I think, and I look at it as my job is to show people how Einstein is relevant, even if you're not a scientist. And so, you know, it, to me, it's great that they're following Einstein, you know, instead of, you know, if they're doing it instead of following a modern day celebrity, you know, or to, you know, so, there, I think Einstein has a lot to say to people on so many different topics. Yeah, and, but I'm not, I have to admit, I'm not convinced. I mean, comparing him to the Kardashians is dragging him down into the gutter. These people have achieved nothing except the cult of celebrity. Whereas yeah. Einstein was a great man, a great scientist, and left an enormous intellectual legacy. So why why should we remember Einstein as, as the first celebrity when... Um, when he probably would be at most ambivalent about that. Oh, he would be more than ambivalent about it. He did not like be, being a celebrity. He, he only, the only thing he liked about it was that he could use it to promote social causes that, that he wanted to promote. Um, but what I'm saying is, I don't think it's a binary choice. It's not a scientist, a Nobel Prize winner, or a celebrity. I think you can be both, and I think it's important to be both, for scientists to be out in the world, to be talking to mass audiences, to be talking to non-scientists. I think that's extremely important. Um, yeah, so I, I don't look at it as, as a binary choice at, at all. Well, let's end, um, Benjamin. You've been a good sport. Um, your book is full of, of stories uh, of Einstein, the Einstein effect. As I said, you, you talked about someone who once stole his brain. Maybe you can end with, uh, with, with your favorite story, which is in the Einstein effect about Albert Einstein. Don't give everything away in the book because it's out this week. We want everyone to buy it. But what's a, yeah. what's a, what is the story that somehow captures all the, the genius, the brilliance, and perhaps the absurdity of, of Einstein's life? Yeah, so I'll go back to that. I'll tell you the end of that brain story. As I mentioned, the pathologist stole the brain in 1955 when Albert Einstein died, and he kept it in a beer cooler in his basement for decades. <laughs> and uh, nobody knew, uh, nobody knew where it was. And then he died in 2007, this pathologist. And certainly then nobody knew where it was. And it's been, you know, fifth, I think 15 years. I actually tracked it down 
uh, I wrote about it in my book, I found out where the brain is now. And I, I actually got to hold the, the jars of where his brain is right now. And it was that talk about a spiritual, that was a real spiritual experience holding Albert Einstein's brain uh, in my hands. I bet it was really heavy. Was it big brain Albert? Yeah, well, that was, you know, th that's why the guy stole the brain. He really wanted to research it to see if it was unique in any special way. And it's hard to tell because it's a chicken and the egg conundrum. It's like, did Einstein, was he born with this special brain or did his intellect make this special brain? And we don't know the answer to that. But finding this brain, which was what initially got me started my journey and obsession with Albert Einstein, finding the brain, holding the brain. And you think about it, yes, it's, it is the, the last physical vestige of Albert Einstein. Um, but it's also what his brain represents. And this is what we've been talking about during this whole show, is his brain is more than just science and intellect and wisdom, but it's so many people look to him as a source of inspiration, whether you're a scientist or a non-scientist. And so to be in such cl close proximity to the brain, which was, you know, uh, the source of all that, to me was probably the most... Uh, you know, the most compelling part of the a whole journey for me. And maybe there is some something of, of Jesus in, in Einstein. We kept his brain. Others, uh, followers of Jesus, kept his clothing. Uh, Benjamin, you you control. I, I, would you call it the, the Church of Einstein or the Synagogue of Einstein? You're the, the <laughs> front. You're 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 the guy in, in control of who gets in and who doesn't. So does that make me the rabbi or the priest? I don't know. I'd, I'd say it's a non-denominational <laughs> worship house of Einstein. 